Well, hey, everybody, welcome to the second installment of the series that we are calling Box Top. And the reason that we're calling it Box Top is because we are putting together a picture of what the church should be, what, the, what God wants it to be. And it's a puzzle. You've got all kinds of different piece, pieces. You're a piece, I'm a piece. Children's ministry is a piece. Youth ministry, prayer, worship. There's all these pieces. And so when you're putting together a puzzle, and I love puzzles, but it's easier if you have a picture of the box top to see what is it supposed to look like when you're done. And so about 10 to 15 years ago, the previous pastor, Pastor Steve, was praying about what, God, what do you want to build here? What are we supposed to be? What is your will for Living Word Family Church? And the Holy Spirit brought him back to the very, very beginning of the church. You see, in Acts 2, there's this beautiful picture of the church and what it looks like. So let's look at that real quick. Acts 2, 42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to breaking of bread and prayer. Everybody was filled with awe. All kinds of signs and wonders were performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They shared. They were in unity. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. They were helping each other. And every day, they, came, they went to church. They met in the temple courts. And they broke bread. And they, and they ate together in their homes. And ate together with a glad and sincere heart. They were real people. They were authentic people. And they praised God and enjoyed favor of all the people. And this is what God did. The Lord added to the number daily those that were being saved. And so this is a picture of an amazing body of believers that I think I would love to be in and I think you would love to be in. This is the picture that the Holy Spirit gave Pastor Steve for us. And what we did was we boiled all these things down into three different things. And you've seen them. Belong, believe, and become. And last week we talked about the, la the, the fact that everybody belongs. Is that right? That we're going to make it as easy as possible as we possibly can for people to find Jesus here. And we're going to pull down all the hurdles that everybody that walks through these doors feels welcome. That they know that this is a place where they can belong. Not only in the body of Christ, but also in the family of Christ with us. And so today, we are going to be talking about believe. And what it means to believe. To believe in Christ. To have our beliefs line up with the word of God. And, but you know we live in a world that constantly tests their belief. Is that right? Yes. They constantly question the things that we believe. And, and so we're, we're constantly reevaluating things. Because life involves struggles and difficulties that sometimes leave us feeling powerless. Maybe a lack of faith in certain areas or a lack of belief. Or even questioning sometimes what we believe. A shakening of our belief. But the good news is that there were plenty of examples of people in this situation in the Bible. That came into contact with Jesus himself. And one in particular was a man who had a son who had seizures. And as we'll find out he had been having these seizures since he was a child. Since he was a baby, an infant. And the reason he was having seizures was because he was demon possessed. I mean, how much worse can it get than that? Could you imagine your child not just having seizures, but he was having seizures because he was demon possessed. It would shake him and it would throw him into the fire and throw him into the water to try to drown him and kill him. 
And his father has been dealing with this since, and his mother, I'm sure, since he was an infant. And I'm sure they had been to every doctor and even to the priest, and nobody could help him. And it had to be absolutely devastating for the family and the parents. And obviously for the boy who's being tortured for year after year after year. I can't imagine, as a father, I can't imagine the mental anguish and the heart-wrenching grief that a parent would go through in this situation. So somebody tells him about Jesus. I mean, he hears about the stories of what Jesus is doing, that he speaks with authority, and that there are miracles and healings, and yes, even that the demons listen to him and obey him. So Jesus is arriving back into town with three of his disciples and he finds the other nine at the bottom of the mountain with a crowd of people around them arguing with the scribes that were there. Now, the scribes hated Jesus. In fact, they're the ones that killed him. And they hated Jesus and the other disciples and they're constantly playing all these crazy games with Jesus trying to twist his words and trying to entrap him. And so in Mark 16, or Mark 9, 16, he asks them and he says, what are you arguing about? And the scribes at this point, they're afraid to talk. And the reason that they're probably afraid to talk is because Jesus, at this point, has made it a habit of beating them at their own game and embarrassing them in front of crowds. And he's done this multiple times by now. And so they don't say anything because they don't want to get embarrassed again in front, of the cow, in front of the crowd. So this father speaks up. And he says this in verse 17. He said, I brought you my son who was possessed by a spirit who has robbed him of speech. See, this father of this boy, he knew who Jesus was. And he, he knew all the great things that he had been doing. Because he brought him specifically to Jesus. Because Jesus, everybody knew. That Jesus spoke with authority, was, was sticking it to the man with the scribes and the Pharisees. His healing, he had brought his son to be healed by Jesus. And then in verse 18, it says, Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams with the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. And see, when Matthew, Matthew also tells this same account. And when Matthew tells it, he says that the boy had epilepsy or falling sickness. Which would also, uh, and that would also take his speech. And so he didn't, he, this, this boy wouldn't have the physical illness that we knew to be, or know to be epilepsy. But what happened was that there was a devil inside of him and it would shake him. It would cause convulsions, foaming of the mouth. And it was, and it was very similar to the symptoms of epilepsy. Let me just set this record straight. Epilepsy is not demon possession. Okay. But in this situation, it was the symptoms were similar. So he says, I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they couldn't. And so what had happened was Jesus was up on the mountain. He had taken three of his disciples to go somewhere else. And without Jesus there, they tried, his other nine tried to cast out this demon and they couldn't. So then at this point, Jesus tells them, bring the boy to me. And they gather him up and they bring him to him. And then in verse 21, Jesus asked the father, he said, how long has the boy been like this? And he said, from infancy. He's often thrown him into fire water to kill him. So the Bible, I mean, so the dad begins to tell the history. And the, and the father has to be half dispirited and discouraged by the failure of Jesus' disciples. And he's also got to be exhausted. I mean, could you imagine raising this boy who has been like this since he was an infant? 
an infant, protecting the other children from him and all this stuff. So he brings him to Jesus. And he, he's also got this previous failure that just happened with the disciples. And, and I think he's, def, he's desperate for his son. But he's also got a hint of encouragement because he's heard of what Jesus can do. So he prays this tentative but hopeful prayer. And this is what he says. He says, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And then something very interesting happens here. The father puts the responsibility on Jesus for healing his son. See, he says, if you can, if you can, and a lot of times when we bring our problems to God, sometimes we bring them to him, giving him the responsibility, if you can. Because as humans, myself included, we do not like responsibility. And humans will do crazy stuff to keep from taking responsibility. And he gives this responsibility to Jesus and he says, if you can, help him. And he's wanting to Jesus to, for Jesus to, to cast out this devil. So the man is struggling with belief in Jesus as well because he says, if you can, if you can, or if you will. See, if you can or if you will is a sign of a lack of belief in Jesus, in his ability or in his willingness. And so the man's belief in Jesus is not strong at this point. And perhaps even weaker than when he first showed up because the disciples couldn't cast out his, this demon. And so we know that this devil in this situation is actually stronger than most demon possessions that the disciples and Jesus had encountered. Because see, the disciples had cast out other devils and they had done this thing before. And we know this because after all this was all over, they came back, the disciples came back to Jesus and said, why couldn't we do it? Why couldn't we ask, cast these out? So we get a glimpse that this, that this demon was even stronger than the other ones that they had previously dealt with. And so maybe because of this disappointment uh, that the disciples couldn't cast it out or how long it had been entrenched in his son, but he puts the if on Jesus' power or Jesus' will, if you can do it. And I've got to ask the question, how many times when things get harder than usual in our lives, when we go through trials and tribulations, and we all know what it's, we all know what it's like, we go through everyday life and there's things that we got to go through. But then there are things that happen that are mountains in our lives, that are bigger than usual. And so when those things happen, do we put an if on Jesus? If God will help me. If I'll get healed, if you heal me, if that business deal goes through, if God, if you give me the employee that I need, if my marriage doesn't fall apart, God, if you heal my marriage, if you come through. But all those things are common to man. And many of us are torn with pain and heartbreak because of what somebody or something has done for, with us or to us. And Jesus wasn't without empathy for this man who was going through this monumental thing. He, didn't, he doesn't just leave him because his if, because his lack of belief, because he puts his if on Jesus. He doesn't get offended. He doesn't leave him. He helps the man who is struggling with this huge monumental issue that's in his life. And so Jesus says something that shocks this man, but it sets him free at the same time. And therefore sets free his son. And I believe that what he says to this father 
is also good for you and good for me. It's for us. When we're struggling with our belief or maybe even our unbelief, Jesus drops this truth bomb on him that can bring power into our lives as well if we'll take heed to it as we unpack it. Because we live in a world that sometimes it seems like you're subject to whatever happens with no power to change it, to be victorious over the things in our lives that we feel like we can't control is what we're looking for. To get through those relationship challenges, to overcome a divorce, or to figure out a way to make it before there is one. To figure out how to stand on your healing when it seems like it's nowhere near. To know what the next move is toward your goals and your destiny when it seems like life is just swallowing you up. Or maybe you just don't know the next move and it feels like life is slipping away year by year by year. But in this man's case, he had this question, this huge mountain, how do I help my son who has struggled with this violent and torturous demon? And so this truth that Jesus gives him, it applied to him, but it also applies to you and to me. And just like you and I do sometimes, the man had put all responsibility on Jesus. He had put an if on him. And so Jesus replies in verse 23, he says this. He says, if you can, and I don't think it was necessarily like, what's your problem if you can? I think it was more of a question. I think, I think he cared about this man. I think he maybe smiled and maybe even a wink and just said, if you can, what do you mean if I can? Because see, there was no reason to not believe in the power of Jesus. That's why he had actually brought his son to him. And so he had, he had heard of all the miracles and all the healings. There was no reason to believe that Jesus couldn't and wouldn't do this. And then he says, he says this one line that every one of us has heard, but seldom do we understand the depth of it. And so Jesus says this, everything is possible for him who believes. And then he drops the mic and he walks away. No, no, not really. He's going to teach this man and us something very powerful. And I want to unpack it with you. See, Matthew and Mark both recorded this account because we wanted, they wanted us to see something very important. You see, the word possible in this phrase, the word possible, what that means is it is the Greek word dunatos. And what it means is it means powerful, mighty, and strong. So it has connotations of being victorious. And then you go and you look at the word believe, which is pastuo, and it means to com commit one's trust in or to surrender. You see, this is what believe is. Belief is different than faith. You see, faith is being wholly convinced that something is actually true. But believing is transferring absolutely everything over to the care of God, committing to his trust, surrender is a good word to God. See, when we surrender our lives to him, it means that we believe in him. Those are, those are, that's what it means. And so here's what the man probably learned it, heard in his language. Something like this. That victory every time is for the one who surrenders. Which kind of doesn't make any sense that victory comes to he who surrenders. Right? But Jesus does this kind of stuff all the time. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. That he who is the greatest among us is, is actually the other servant. And this is one of those phrases where Jesus kind of warps our theology and our outlook on life just a little bit. 
But if we believe in him and surrender our lives to him, surrender our words, surrender our thoughts, surrender our deeds, surrender our money and our possessions in every area, then we will have victory in life. We'll have power, might, strength. We will have victory. You see, belief, what it really means is surrender. It has no if in it. If you can, God, would you do this? It believes the promises and the words of God and it surrenders to them to obey. Because, you see, when we surrender ourselves to Christ or we surrender ourselves to God, there is always a destiny and a purpose that he wants to use us for. And, and therefore, there are always instructions that come next. There are always mandates that come next. There's always direction that we seek that comes next. Things for us to do, for us to become who he called us to be. And so when we surrender ourselves to him, the victory is imminent. We will have victory every single time we surrender to him. Or, you might put it this way, is that surrender leads to victory. Let me say that again. That surrender to God leads to victory. You see, it's hard for some of us, and, and me specifically, because some of us are the type of people that we never say surrender. We never say die. We don't know how to quit. We do not give up. But this is a different kind of surrender. And belief or surrender, it starts with faith. Although belief is different than faith, as we discussed, it starts with faith. And what we're talking about is the next step after faith. Watch this. You can have faith that Jesus is the Son of God. And that even he died and rose again. You can believe that the Bible is the utter true and true word of God. And yet you can still be lost. Look at this. John 3.16 said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever, what? Believes. believes in him, not has faith, believes in him, will not perish but have eternal life. And so we can have faith that Jesus is the Son of God. We can have faith that he died on the cross for us. But if we do not surrender our lives, that whoever believes or whoever surrenders their life to him shall not perish but have everlasting life. See, Hebrews 11 says that without faith it's impossible to please him. So we need faith. But faith is, I am convinced, Jesus is the Son of God. But belief is the next step after that where we put our trust in him and we surrender our lives to him and to his will. See, you can have faith and not necessarily have belief and take action. You can have faith and not belief and not surrender. So many times, I see so many people working so hard to get to God on their own but never actually submit their lives to God. They work so hard to get to his plan and his plan for their lives, but yet never submit their lives to God. But when Jesus is at the center of your life, things are different. And when we have that faith, but not only faith, but that faith added to that faith belief and surrender, and we surrender to the care of God, when we do this, we get instructions that come from God on how to actually carry out our faith. How to walk through our faith. You see, surrendering ourselves to God is not just abandoning things. It's not like you just drop your prayer request with God and walk away. 
But it's saying, God, I trust you with this situation. I trust you with my life. I believe and I surrender. Therefore, what would you have me do? And here's the thing. That the, God, the things that God would have you do, they're always fulfilling. They may be hard in the beginning, but the end of them is always fulfilling. The, the destiny and the purpose that God has for you, it's designed for you to fulfill you. But so often, I mean, we people, men, women, me, you, we run from it, right? Matthew 21, 22 says this. If you what? If you believe, not have faith, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. If you're surrendered to him and acting on his will, then you will receive what you ask for in prayer. It's not just faith. It's also surrender. That means we will receive what we'll ask for in prayer. And then in Mark 16, in verse 16, says whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. It doesn't say whoever has faith and is baptized. It says whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believes will be condemned. You don't want that. And this is very interesting here because belief is submission to God. And what we see here is what comes after that is action. See, anytime you submit yourself to God, as I've been saying, there's going to be a corresponding action usually associated with that. And so with this verse, if whoever believes, if you want to be a Christian, you not only have to believe, but you also have a corresponding action to be baptized. See, baptism is the action of someone who has hope, and then faith, and then has moved into belief, submitted themselves to God, surrendered themselves to God, and has obeyed the very first command of a Christian. It's the very first thing that you do. So if you're not baptized, we're, as Marcus mentioned, we're having baptisms next week. You need to be baptized. It's a command. It's not like, oh, I think maybe I want to or whatever. Well, but I don't want to get my hair wet. I don't, you know, I don't have that problem. I don't want to stand up there and be embarrassed in front of everybody. If you truly believed and you surrendered your life to Christ, then you will be baptized. It's not a question. So, um, the, so next week we're baptizing. Believing is surrendering. And surrendering leads to victory. And so this father, as soon as he finds out that Jesus has actually given him back his if, he's put the if back on him, as soon as he realizes that whatever happens would be on his shoulder, his belief. He makes a very, very interesting decision that I wonder if you and I would have made. In verse 24, it says, immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. But before that, this word exclaimed right here, it, some translations say he cried and he said. I want you to see how emotional and absolutely heart-wrenching this, this father's plea would have been for his son. He cried and he said, I do believe, I do surrender. But listen to this, help me un overcome my unbelief. And here's what he was saying. There's parts of me that are surrendered, but help me with the parts that I haven't turned over to you. Help me with the parts that I haven't surrendered. He immediately becomes conscious of these conflicting principles on the inside of him. That belief and unbelief all reside there. And he says the, one of the most noblest things that I've ever heard anybody say in the Gospels. It's honest. See, as humans, we tend to be a mixture of belief and unbelief. Part surrendered, other parts, maybe not so much. 
Sometimes we pray with a combination of surrender and doubt. See, God wants us to be honest with him and ask for help. Because we know we can't exist in unbelief. We know how poison it is, but how honest are you with God? See, sometimes we're not honest with God or ourselves about that. I mean, could you imagine being in front of all those people and they're all staring at you and you finally found Jesus and he asked you in front of all these people, do you believe? And the wrong answer could mean that your son stays tortured for the rest of his life. But that, that, son, that father was honest in front of all those people and in front of Jesus and his honesty was rewarded. And I believe that this father's honesty when he was painfully honest with Jesus in front of all these people and he just wept and he cried and he said, I believe, but help my unbelief. I'm surrendered, but help my un the things that are unsurrendered. I, I think it expresses the reality of a lot of the struggles that happen on the inside of us. How often have I been that father? How often have you been that father? Struggling to believe. How many of us have had that quote unquote demon in our life? Something in our lives that gives us a sense of imprisonment and being out of control. See, this is the Jesus that understands and longs to be there for each and every one of us. In our highest of highs, yes, but in our lowest of lows as well. It's said that most people live lives of quiet desperation. But when we experience things slipping out beyond us and getting over our head, we need to do what this father did and bring our, our, our insecurities to Jesus. Be honest with him about the parts of our lives that are not surrendered. Even when we feel the need to put on a strong face for people around us, we need to be honest with God. Because in all honesty, it's kind of useless to conceal stuff from God, right? And so maybe if there is some things that are not surrendered in our hearts, we've got to confess that to him. We've got to ask him for help and direction and then and disown it, reject it, wrestle with it if you have to. But we've got to deal with it or we're just going to stay in the same situation in our problems because faith is not enough. It must move to surrender. So here's my challenge to each and every one of us, you and me. Because if believing means that you're surrendering your life to God's care and taking the actions that you know you should do and you know you, 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 you should execute, then believing is a core part of being a Christian. And it's a core part of being in this church. It's part of our vision. And when we talk about believing as a part of our vision, this is what we're talking about. Us, you and me, surrendering our lives to God so that we can attain victory so that we can move on to the third thing, which is becoming what God has called us to be. And so if you surrender to God in any area, whether it's the first time and you're giving your life to him or for the millionth time, it's something that you have to do. I can't do that for you. We can't do that for you. But what I am committed to do and we are committed to do is to proclaim the word of God to, to you, to teach you, to teach you to read it and study it for yourself. That's what Sunday morning services are and first Wednesdays. See, this is the time that we come together, not only to belong together and then not only to become together and to help each other. And we'll get to that next week, but to believe together, to get to where we believe we're surrendered to God. 
And what I can do is I can help you with your faith because faith comes by hearing and hearing of the Word of God. So we'll teach you the Word of God during Sundays and then, and then your meetups. You're going to get that as well. But also, I want to encourage you. And I've been encouraging you for a while to read the Bible on your own. And we've been encouraging you in to read the one-year Bible. And that's, that's what I do. Every year I, I read through the whole Bible. And so there is life in the Word of God. It's 20 minutes a day. Listen or read it. And if you go to lwfc.org slash one-year-bible, what I've done is I've started a one-year-bible reading plan. It takes about 20 minutes a day um, to read it or listen to it, like I said. And if you have the YouVersion Bible app, you can do that. If you don't have it, you can download it. You can do this on a computer as well. And, and so if you go to this link, you can actually subscribe to the reading plan that I put together. We could all do it together. You don't have to do it that way. If you've got your own thing, that's cool. But what this, this is going to start at the end of the fast. February 1st, we can pick up together and continue reading the Bible together and, and continue on what God is doing in our hearts during this fast. So if you want to do that, take a picture of this now. Um, and so also, after the daily reading, there's a place that we can all make comments at the bottom of it where if God gave you an idea or touched your heart or something that you noticed, you can put it in there. It'll be a fun thing for us to do together. But our heart's desire is that, that we would take your hopes and we would feed you the Word of God. You would feed yourself the Word of God and it would turn into faith. And then you would submit yourself from that place of faith to God. And then in that situation. And, and then what happens is because we surrender, we have victory in every area of our lives. And that's where the instruction comes as well. So going back to the story, a huge crowd starts rushing in. Somebody probably went back to town to tell them what was happening. And when Jesus sees the crowd running to the scene, he commands this demon to come out and never return. And immediately it leaves. And then something perfect happens. Something symbolic. Something wonderful happens. Jesus just didn't walk out. He didn't just cast out the devil and leave. But in verse 27... It says that Jesus took him by the hand and he lifted him to his feet. And Jesus is always, I love him so much. He's always there to pick us up and lift us to our feet. And as we surrender to him, he gives us victory. And we see that in this boy. Because then the boy stood up on his own. And I think that's significant, that he stood up on his own two feet because of what Jesus had done. And not only what Jesus had done, but listen, what his father had surrendered and trusted in God. He was able to stand up on his own two feet in victory. Is that what you want? Then I say surrender. Is that right? Yes. Amen.